It's been an overnight scape. Yeah. Uh, Peaky River here, and it is a hard day's night. Well, the hard day's night episode of the Overnight Scape Central. And uh, with us, uh, we will hear this time around from Rob from the Paunch Stevenson Show. I hate to say that ten times fast. Rob from the Paunch Stevenson Show. There. That. I think I got all of my consonants in the correct sequence that time. And uh, Shambles Constant made it in. And Frank Edward Nora, of course, is in the assemblage, the menagerie. And um, it's open follow-ups. And these shows are starting to bleed days into weeks. And we're going to try to pull the reins in, but we're not going to be so precise. I mean, yes, the next show that we will be doing is the Beatles for Sale show. However, don't count on the next one being the next Beatle album. Serious consideration is being given to uh, a general um, catch-up and a look at the DECA auditions is what I have in mind after Beatles for Sale. But uh, we'll keep you posted as we go. And of course, I mean, if you've got Beatles stuff to talk about, this is where you send it. Uh, please participate in this. And uh, uh, t- t- I am going to be more so than uh, parroting or getting too analytical per se. I found some wonderful quotations of what critics wrote about the Beatles in 1964. As we move into 1964, historically now, in February, in fact, yesterday, uh, today's the 10th of February as I'm recording this, February 9th was the 60th anniversary of the Beatles appearing on the Ed Sullivan Show, which was like the big bang so to speak but uh, we'll get into the the historical context of this is fascinating and i'm going to try to do some more digging because i think you'll dig what i dig up in any case let us hand the floor over to our the one and only rob and uh, see what insight he can start us off with on a hard day's night hi everyone it's rob what are we talking about? The Ruddles, a hard day's rut. No, I'm kidding. It's uh, <laughs> the Beatles, a hard day's night, 1964. Here in the United States, we had a United Artists soundtrack album, which had a red cover and four gray photos of the tops of the Beatles' heads. But the original, official, canon, a hard day's night album from the UK, had the blue cover with a whole grid of black and white photos of the Beatles. And, um, of course, a completely different track listing than the the U.S. uh, soundtrack album. The U.S. soundtrack album had some instrumental songs. I don't know, they're they're actually pretty good. (laughs) Anyway, the U.K., a Hard Day's Night album 
was uh, it's the the third Beatles album, and it was the first one that it was all original material. From what I understand, during that time period, that was an unusual thing for a pop band, a rock and roll band, a pop group. Um, because back then, cover songs were very common. Like I don't know, over the years. Uh, there's become a mentality of like a band has to write all of its own material in order to be more legitimate. But back then, singers and bands were... Everybody was covering everything. There was just... A popular song would come out and there would be 30 different cover versions of, of of the song. That was just a normal thing. It wasn't looked down upon or frowned upon that was just the normal thing is just the normal part of pop music back then was oh there's a popular song here's 30 different cover versions of it um anyway so a hard day's night uh the track listing it starts off of course with the famous um, song and the famous intro that chord a hard day's night which, uh, of course, is, is a great song. Just good energy, good, good melody, very catchy. It has that signature early Beatles sound, the splashy hi-hat and, and bongos and the Lennon-McCartney-Harrison uh, harmony vocals and everything. Um, and the, uh, the 12-string electric guitar, which, which the Beatles were into for a little while. Track two, I Should Have Known Better. This is one of my favorites. Uh, the John Lennon vocal. It's very catchy. Again, it has George on the 12-string electric guitar. It's just a good, catchy, simple, straightforward song. Uh, if you notice Ringo's drumming in I Should Have Known Better, it's literally just the drum beat through the whole song. There's no stops, starts, there's no fills, there's no straying from that drum beat, which is very straightforward. Yet for this particular song, it's it's this driving force. It's this nonstop foundation of the song, just that, that nonstop drum beat. If I Fell, another favorite, uh, you have, of course, the, the very classic, John Lennon and Paul McCartney harmony vocals singing throughout the whole song. Very melodic. It's, uh, yeah, that's that's a really good one. If I Fell is a really good one. A bunch of the songs on this album, like, for example, If I Fell, I Should Have Known Better, A Hard Day's Night, uh, they, they really showcase the Beatles' songwriting ability and how quickly they had evolved, right? Because we're, we're only... I mean, from the first album, right? Please Please Me, With the Beatles, A Hard Day's Night. It was only, I don't know, 18 months, if even. And they're already writing, A, writing enough songs that there's an entire album worth of material. But B, the songs are uh, getting a lot better. Number four, I'm happy just to dance with you. This was sung by George, but written by um, John and maybe Paul. Again, it's it's just a, a catchy pop song. 
that drum beat, the hi-hat, and the it's just, you know, and, and that, not a walking bass line, but it's, it's just that driving bass line, uh, what I like to refer to as Paul's lead bass playing. So not lead guitar playing, but lead bass playing. Uh, it's light. It, it's a lightweight song, but it's catchy and has a good energy to it, a good sound to it. I, I like it. And I love her classic Paul McCartney song. Acoustic, nice, gentle ballad. George playing that the, that little lead part, which uh, someone had posted online. I saw, I came across this years ago where it was little bits that the Beatles potentially nicked from other previously existing songs. And this was one, and I love her. It was that, that doon, 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 doon. And someone had posted an existing song that was out before And I Love Her. I, I, I'm not going to remember what it was, the name of the song, the artist, or anything about it. But I listened to it. I was like, huh. Yeah, there's like, down, 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 down. Down, 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 down. I'm like, huh. That's, uh, you know. The old saying, great artists, uh, what, what is it? Good artists borrow, great artists steal. And, uh, you know, hey, it's, maybe it's true. Um, but anyway, I, I like it. You know what I really like is the version, the more uh, rock version. It was like the like a, a prototype version, an early version that was on the anthology. It's a more early Beatles rock sound, rock and roll sound version where where Ringo's you know, getting the splashy hi hat and. And this this really strummy acoustic guitar and I really like that version, uh, but but this version is good too. Tell me why I don't like it. I find it very annoying. This very blaring vocal and uh, it's, I don't know. I just don't like it. Can't buy me love. Of course, a big hit song. It's catchy and a very famous song. Any time at all. Eh, it's average for me. I don't like it. Uh, it's just a little, it gets a little repetitive and a little, I don't know, just a little monotonous. And I'll Cry Instead is, it's good. It's good. I like it. It's a little more, little more folky, a little more country-ish. Slightly, slightly. That's a good one. Things, you know what's funny? I'll Cry Instead. So I remember that was one of the first songs on one of the American albums. I can't remember. It was something new. I remember the the side starting off with that. And it's just always in my head. Like, no, this, the, the side starts off with it. Those first few years of my life, listening to the U.S. albums, it was just, it was imprinted onto my brain. And all these decades later, that's what's imprinted on my brain. Still, still, all these years later. Uh, but anyway, I'll cry instead. That's a good one. Things We Said Today, I know that's a classic. Paul, Again, Paul plays that live for many years. 
it's not one of my favorites. It's, it's good. It's good, but it's not one of my favorites. I don't know. There's just something kind of uh, like, I don't know. There's something bleak sounding about it or it just has this dreary sound to it that just doesn't click with me that much. When I get home, I don't like it. It's terrible. I don't like it. I find it very annoying, the falsetto voices, and it's just this, ah, I, I don't like it. Um, of course, this is after I just got done saying how this album <laughs> showcases the Beatles songwriting. and the, Side one, very strong. Side two, eh, hit or miss. Um, but then we get to You Can't Do That. And that's a great one. That's a great rock and roll. John Lennon. I love that choppy punk rock sounding guitar solo in the middle on the electric guitar and and just the drums and 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 that one we go back to the the stop and start stop it's a you know and then I told you before boom, boom, oh you can't do that you know and and uh it has that technique there that the Beatles loved using yeah you, you can't do that is great and then I'll be back is um it's good I like it I find it a little it's it's I don't know there's something about it along the lines of things we said today it just has a dreary bleak feeling to it <laughs> and for that to be the album closer I I feel like if they had switched I'll be back and then close the album with you can't do that it's like ah we end on a high note we end with with the the the, the rocking john lennon song that's a good album closer but there's this this peak where this build up this peak to you can't do that and then i'll be back even though it's good and i like it it's it just like uh, it's a little for me it's a little anticlimactic uh, but anyway Overall, a good album. Like I said, there's a few songs that I skip. I just I find them annoying. But overall, a very good album. So many classic, definitive songs on here. And we're talking in a in a seven year period, seven and a half year period. How many other bands put out something like fourteen full length albums? plus a few EPs, plus singles, and had five movies, <laughs> all within a seven-year seven, seven year period, seven-and-a-half-year period. I know Elvis did a lot of movies, and, and um, some other artists did a, did a couple, like Spice Girls had a movie or whatever, but all those albums, all those singles, EPs, a cartoon series, and five movies within less than a decade plus touring <laughs> all these concerts all over the world and it's like wow how the and, and and music videos too interviews tv appearances uh it, wow wow anyway thank you for listening take care Oh, thank you, Rob. I'd completely forgotten about the instrumentals that were on the United Artists album. 
hard day's night. Something new, I guess, was the equivalent for Capital, and there's some bleed over between the American releases of the two albums, if I'm recalling correctly. I am really just trying to, for years now, just bleed myself into the actual canon records, and it's hit or miss, but I'm trying. Uh, but I'm glad that somebody else remembers because it's really, it does echo in your head. And they're like, how many more American Beatle albums than British ones, even if we just stop at, say, yeah, Rubber Soul, I think was, no, Rubber Soul and Revolver were also both released in the United States originally in a truncated form. So, yeah, it wasn't until Sgt. Pepper. It, it's, yeah. Now, uh, I had no idea, and thank you for inform. Should have known better. I had no idea that was a 12-string electric, but now that you mention it, yeah. I, well, you're a really good guitarist. Rob uh, gives guitar lessons and I believe has online guitar uh, tips, tutorials, something. But he's he played guitar in Fuzzy Doppner, which is the band that our own Frank Edward Nora wrote the lyrics for. Yep, uh, and a fine guitarist. I mean, I'd noodle around, but... Uh, and that uh, bit of trivia about Ringo's drum, uh, it, it very uh, pre-Jockey Liebzeit, uh, who is a famous Krautrock drummer uh, of Ringo to have done that. And um, I just, the sound of the song, Things We Said Today, is just to this day so powerful that, that that's... I mean, just a really, and then that chorus comes in and it's even stronger. Yeah, but I'm, I'm very fond of that song. Uh, I'll be back. For me, it's that middle bit. It's going fine, but then it's like, I love you so. I'm the one who wants you. Whoa. Yeah, it's just... Usually, when John's heartbroken, he is usually still like pushing it out. That that there's just it's not that little middle chorus. It, it it's not it doesn't work for me. It just doesn't. But it's not that terrible a song either. I mean, I'm not. Oh, it doesn't work. Take it off the album. Forget it. But yeah, that PQ River. He's such an opinionated cuss. Um, and yeah, uh, I got these contemporary what the critics wrote about the Beatles in nine, the, the in February, February eleventh, nineteen sixty four. The Los Angeles Times quote. With their bizarre shrubbery, the Beatles are obviously a press agent's dream combo. Not even their mothers would claim that they sing well. But the hirsute thickets they affect makes them rememberable. And they project a certain kittenish charm which drives the immature, shall we say, ape. 
September of 1964, famous conservative William F. Buckley, although at this point he wasn't quite so famous a conservative, an estimable critic, writing for National Review after seeing Presley writhe his way through one of Ed Sullivan's shows, suggested that future entertainers would have to wrestle with live octopuses in order to entertain a mass American audience. The Beatles don't in fact do this, but how one wishes they did and how one wishes the octopus would win. The Beatles are not merely awful. I would consider it sacrilegious to say anything less than they are god-awful. They are so unbelievably, horribly, so appallingly unmusical, so dogmatically insensitive to the magic of the art that they qualify as crowned heads of anti-music, even as the imposter popes went down in history as anti-popes. And uh, one more, one more. This one back from February of 64 out of Newsweek. Visually, they are a nightmare, tight, dandified, Edwardian beatnik suits and great pudding bowls of hair. Musically, they are a near disaster, guitars and drums slamming out a merciless beat that does away with secondary rhythms, harmony, and melody. Their lyrics, punctuated by nutty shouts of yeah, 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 are a catastrophe, a preposterous farrago of Valentine card romantic sentiments. The big question in the music business at the moment is, will the Beatles last? The odds are that, in the words of another era, they're too hot not to cool down, and a cool-down Beatle is hard to picture. It is also hard to imagine any other field in which they could apply their talents, and so the odds are that they will fade away, as most adults confidently predict. But the odds in show business have a way of being broken, and the Beatles have more showmanship than any group in years. They might just think up a new field for themselves. After all, they have done it already. Hmm. Food for thought there. That's uh, a very interesting take. And uh, a little prophetic, maybe? Hmm? Yeah. In any case, uh, let us together check out what Shambles Constant has to add to the mix. It's hard for me to not gush about most of the songs on a hard day's night. But, uh, it, you know, as I just found out, because this is actually take two of this, um, I also kind of struggle to think of unique ways to describe each song. You know, because some of them are, are kind of variations on a theme of each other. You know, there's some there's some really fine uh, love songs on here on the on this. Um, you know, if I fell, I'm happy just to dance with you. Um, you know, um, and I love her. I mean, there's you know, there's a lot of a lot of that on it to the point that it you know it's hard to think of distinct things to say about each one. So I might kind of kind of, you know, just summarize a little bit and, uh, 
you know, discuss briefly each one. Um, something significant about A Hard Day's Night, I believe it's the only album um, that where all the songs were written by Lennon-McCartney, um, where they're all credited Lennon-McCartney, that is. Um, you know, most of the, the Beatles, song, Beatles albums, the Beatles albums that are, uh, you know, all originals, um, there'll be a George song here, you know, you know, somewhere in there or, uh, or, you know, like a Ringo song, actually, you know, something like that. But I think this is the only one that's all Lennon McCartney, you know, no covers, um, none of that kind of stuff. Um, I can't speak to the, uh, American release because, you know, I basically just know the, uh, the British releases, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, A Hard Day's Night starts out with that, with that great, opening chord. It's one of those uh, early Beatles songs with a great opening chord that no one definitely has. And, uh, you know, um, and of course, you know, the, it starts out with that in the, in the movie too. And you get that really great montage of them running away from fans and, you know, hiding in like a, a phone booth and you see the, you know, the grandfather sitting there reading a paper and look, you know, sitting next to Paul and stuff. And he's like, um, I could really, I could really gush about the movie. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, last time I did a list of like top 10 or top 50 favorite films, it was somewhere in the top 10, I believe. Um, I'd have to go back and look, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really great movie. Um, you know, they, they depict, um, the Beatles public personas. I mean, they're obviously they're, you know, they were playing a role in the media as well as in the film, you know, in those early years, you know, cause they were advised by Brian Epstein and the, um, record company. They could do this. They couldn't say this. They had to be, you know, they could be kind of cheeky, but they couldn't overdo it. And there's, you know, um, that, that public persona where they gradually just went, you know, screw it. We're going to just do what we want. And John's like, you know, bigger than Jesus. But anyway, um, but the movie has got like, you know, them playing those public personas. And, um, you know, I, I really love uh, watching Ringo in that movie, you know, or he's, you know, he's pretty happy go lucky for the first half of it. And then um, Paul's grandfather gets in his head and then he like takes off. He like, he's a deserter from the, you know, the big, um, the big show that they're getting ready to do the really big shoe. But, um, and, uh, you know, where he's, he's, you know, just walking on his own. He runs into that kid that's skipping school and he's like, I'm a deserter too. You know, it's just, it's lovely. And then you hear like the, uh, instrumental of, uh, of this boy, you know, the instrumental version of it, the Ringo's theme, and, you know, there's, yeah, there's not a lot of, uh, scenes that top that in terms of just, I don't know, just tone, you know, is you know, like that scene's just got a great, you know, kind of a, a lazy day. Oh yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, I don't know what, how much to talk about the movie and how much to talk about the, the album, but I'm going to try to restrict it to the album because that's what we're doing here. But Hard Day's Night's got the, uh, you know, the title is from the Ringo, you know, Ringo's um, malapropism, supposedly at least. Um, I don't know if that was actually the case or if that was just what they said, but, you know, you know like it's, oh, it's been a hard day's night. Like, I'm so tired and, you know, 
uh, when I get home to you, I find the things that you do will make me feel all right. <laughs> I don't know if there's a double entendre there or if that's just, you know, if you can just take that in a wholesome, probably either way. It could probably be either way, but that's, that's a really great song. Um, I should have known better. It's one of, it's one of their, their, one of the last gasps of the harmonica on a Beatles song. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's got a, a lovely, easygoing kind of a feel to it. Um, you know, it's, it's just a, a, a nice, you know, easygoing song. And, um, you know, it's not too fast, not too slow. It's just, you know, it's kind of, kind of just right. It's like the, the Goldilocks of, <laughs> of Hard Day's Night in a way. Um, if I Fell um, is a beautiful love song. Um, you know, if I give my heart, it's like, it's like there's a tentative aspect to it. Like, if I do this, what's it going to be like? Like, it's like, like the singer is kind of flirting with the idea of falling for this girl, you know, as much as actually, you know, flirting with her, you know, in and of herself. And that's one that I think you hear it a couple of times in the, in the movie. Um, there's a nice, uh, reprise of it toward the end. Reprise, reprise. I'm happy just to dance with you. Um, that one is, uh, I always get confused in my head. I, I, I always think that George wrote it, but he just sang it, but, uh, and you know, uh, performed on it, of course, but, um, but yeah, I always think of it as one that he wrote, but, um, <coughs> excuse me. It's got a really nice mel uh, melody, you know. And that's the one where in the movie there, uh, it starts off kind of a, like a ballroom instrumental version of it. And, you know, the, the Beatles are just kind of goofing around and then they, they perform their own version of it. You know, their, their actual, the, the actual version of, of the song. Um, it's a, it's a very, it's very charming, you know, it's a very charming song and I love her, um, is pretty much my favorite song on the album. Um, because it's, you know, it's a love song, but it's not, it's not your typical love song. Um, there's, it's almost kind of haunting, you know, it's almost, there's, there's a kind of a, a haunting um, sense to it, uh, in, in the, the melody and just, uh, you know, bright are the stars of night, dark is the sky. I know this love of mine will never die. And I love her. Oh, the guitar is amazing. The guitar on that's really good. Um, tell me why is not my favorite song. Um, it's nice. Uh, and, and, and it's definitely, it, you know, got a beat and you can dance to it. Um, you know, it's kind of a toe tapper, but I've always kind of felt like, you know, a, a couple, a couple times in the song, it, the, like the falsetto is kind of a little grating almost. Like that one, one bit in the, you know, in the, 
middle eight, I think, <laughs> if I may, um, where they suddenly just like, -doo 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 -doo. you know, it's like, it, it feels like overkill to be, you know, it's, it's a fine song. Um, you know, it's also one of the Beatles songs that uses the most basic rhymes. <laughs> I, I know a lot of the early songs do, but, or yeah, a lot of their early songs do, but so, I mean, it's, it's, it's good, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I've just never loved it. It's never taken off for me in a way that some of the, the other songs on the album have. Um, and then Can't Buy Me Love uh, has got a great lead-up in the movie, um, where they've been, like, locked in a, you know, that, that line is like, well, we've been in a, in a, in a car, in a room, in a room, in a room, in a, you know, and it's like, they're supposed to rehearse and rehearse and they like break out of the studio and they're like, we're out. And then you get the whole can't buy me love montage of them running around in the field and stuff. And, um, you know, just, um, you know, there's a, there's a real sense of freedom, you know, just like we're free. And of course it's, the song is the antithesis of, uh, money. That's what I want. Um, uh, you know, the exact opposite, of of that song is like I don't need money because money can't buy me love you know everybody everybody tells me so no 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 I took one of those online quizzes once and uh, you know where it was like what Beatles song are you and the song was can't buy me love and I, I really liked that that idea um, I don't remember what the write up was on it or anything of like why the Beatles song I was was can't buy me love. <laughs> That's kind of a weird way to say it, but, um, yeah, really, really nice song. Really great song. Um, that brings you to side two and, um, anytime at all. Um, that's got, it says here, lead vocals are Lennon. I, Paul, Paul does the background, doesn't he? Or just like the call and response. Is it like, isn't it like John is like anytime at all. And then I always thought Paul was like the second one. He's like, anytime at all. Or at least that's how I picture it in my head. Or like I, how I imagine it, you know. Um, I, I imagine them both singing it. And uh, I guess I could look that up. Let's find out. Mainly composed by John Lennon with an instrumental middle eight by Paul McCartney. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. I, I like the guitar on that one, too. Um, let us see... Do, 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 do. What the hell? Um, 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 um. Yeah, but, well, it says backing vocal, yeah. But, um. Yeah. John described it as an effort at writing, it won't be long. Same ilk, C to A minor, C to A minor, with me shouting. <laughs> Lyrically, the song appears similar to the 1963 song, All I've Gotta Do. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so, but it's, I think it's a lot better, actually. Um, it's like, anytime at all, all you gotta do is call and I'll be there. I'll just be... That's that's a song I remember, like, I, I've seen a couple episodes of the Beatles cartoon, and uh, I think that's one of the ones... I remember hearing that one in one of the episodes. That one and Tell Me What You See are the two that I I kind of associate with the Beatles cartoon. I don't remember a lot about the Beatles cartoon, but, um, so, yeah, so that, that's, and it doesn't even have to be a love song necessarily. It could just be, 
you know, a really good friendship. Uh, I'm thinking of the lyrics. Don't you be sad. I need somebody to love. Look into my eyes. Okay, I know. Okay, there's a little bit of romanticness on uh, romance. <laughs> Not romanticness, just romance. Um, I'll cry instead. That's the one that uh, is not part of the actual movie, but it's the the prologue um, on the the video release and the. I think they did a theatrical release where that was the prologue. Um, but uh, I've tried that one in karaoke, and that's the one that made me realize that I don't like doing songs in karaoke where it starts with the lyric like right off. I like a because it's difficult, you know. You're you're trying to watch the the screen with the bouncy ball, and you know it starts in, and like a second later, you got to start singing, and uh, that drives me crazy. I'm like, I can't, I can't do songs in karaoke that are that are like that. But this one's got some fun lyrics. Um, you know, I I really love. I got a chip on my shoulder that's bigger than my feet. <laughs> I love that line. Um, it's a great John song, you know, where a lot of these songs are, are, are happy and love songs. And, you know, that one is like, you know, kind of the opposite. And in the, in the, it's like, things are not going well for the singer, you know? Things are not going well in their, in their little world. And it's one of the shortest Beatles songs ever. It's like a minute and 44 seconds, um, according to Wikipedia. Um... Then you have uh, things we said today, um, which is a little more, a little more of a mellow tune um, with some very interesting instrumentation instrumentation to it. Um, someday when I'm lonely, wishing you weren't so far away, then I will remember things we said today. Me, I'm just a lucky kind. Love to hear, you know. I, I like the build in that song. I, I like how it kind of builds. Um, when I got when I get home, it's pretty good. Um, you know, it's got another great line in it where um, he sings, um, "I've got no time for trivialities." I, I just like the word trivialities being in, you know, where so many of these songs are like very simple rhymes, and and then you get, "If you please, I got no time for trivialities." <laughs> it kind of just it kind of stands out. And then the, whoa, whoa, hi. <laughs> I got a whole lot of shit to tell her. Okay, they didn't say shit, but... Uh, shite. He would have said shite. I got, I got a whole lot of shite to tell her. When I get home. And uh, then I've got... Oh, this one is... This one almost makes me cry. Because, and not in a good way. Um, you can't do that. I love the the instrumentation. I, you know, it's a very catchy song. Um, the 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 message behind it is deplorable. <laughs> you know, it's impossible to listen to it without getting a little bit. You know, this is uncomfortable. Um, where he's he's talking about how uh, you know. Um, he, he he just saw his girl like talking to another man and he's gonna beat her up is basically what the song is saying and like you know that's just cringeworthy at best and uh, you know so I can't like I can't with that song that's basically and 
and it's sad because I really like, you know, the the music. Like I said, it's very it's a very catchy tune, but you know, he's gonna let let her down and you know leave her flat or whatever it is. But it's you know that that's one, and there's one more song like that that's coming up in a couple of albums, then in three albums time that. Uh, you know, for similar reasons, <laughs> um, you know, advocating um, domestic violence, basically, that I know it was a different time. I, you know, I, I get that or whatever, but like, damn, you know, but um, and then the album closes out with I'll Be Back, um, which that's that's another really great. That's it's an interesting one to close out on because it's not. You know, the album doesn't end with a bang, more of a whimper, but it's a, you know, it, you know, it's just a very lovely whimper. It's like, you know, if I, if you break my heart, I'll go, but I'll be back again. And then it just fades out, and that's the end of the uh, that's the end of the album. Let me look up just for fun. Let's look up the North American release. It's it's on the same Wikipedia page here. I just want to see what. Yeah, it went. Hard day's night. Tell me why. That's interesting. That one was so early on the album. I'll cry instead. I should have known better. I'm happy just to dance with you, and I love her. Instru oh, the, a couple of these are instrumentals. I should have known better as an instrumental on there, and then, and I love her as an instrumental. And then the second side is I should have known better if I fell, and I love her. Ringo's theme, this boy, the instrumental. Um, I don't know. Is that one Ben released anywhere? Because I don't know. Like I'm trying to think of. You know, it wasn't on, like, the anthology or anything. You would have thought it would have been on the anthology. You know, because it wasn't on the main, you know, official uh, UK release. And I don't know that I... I don't think I've ever had it on a CD. Maybe I'll check Amazon Music and see if it's on there. Because it seems like it should be. But, um... And Can't Buy Me Love. And then an instrumental version of, of Hard Day's Night. Um... So it's just it's just kind of a different lineup of most of the songs. You know, like um, when I get home wasn't on there. You can't do that wasn't on there. What else? I'm trying to see what else. Um, yeah, but yeah. Well, they even did a single of Ringo's theme, "This Boy." Holy crap! <laughs> like I feel ripped off now. Like I don't know. Anyway, um, I, that's, that's basically what I had to say about A Hard Day's Night. Um, you know, really great one with, uh, you know, one or two songs that uh, I, 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 I struggle with a little bit for different reasons. But, and I, you know, I don't want to sound negative about Tell Me Why. It, you know, it's, I guess, I, you know, that's one of those weird ones that, it just, it's just never been one of my favorites. So, and I don't know why I should feel like I need to apologize for that either. I was like, I, I don't need to apologize. <laughs> so anyway, it's just, it's just how, I mean, you can't force these things. You can't 
make yourself love a song that you don't love as such, you know? So, anyway, that's that's about all I got to say about A Hard Day's Night. Back to you, PQ. And I have some news that should give you and anyone else alarmed uh, some relief. I, yes, I know you're talking about Run For Your Life uh, is the other song, which is merely quoting an old blues song line that's used in many old classic blues songs. I'd rather see you dead little girl than to be with another man. And I, well, the Lennon was kind of a menacing guy however uh you can't do that uh let you down means to let you down disappoint you has nothing to do with corporal punishment or violence and to leave someone flat is like break up with somebody there is not even the insinuation that John is going to smack her around. He is simply no longer going to be her boyfriend. He's warned her about talking to the other guy twice now. And if you're going to talk to the other guy, I'm not going to be your boyfriend. Uh, if that's menacing, uh, the world has come to a very different, you know, if my girlfriend tells me if you talk to that girl another time, I don't see that well it might be a threat of violence you might whop me upside the head but that's a completely different situation but no shambles uh it's harder to defend run for your life which is and you no, you can't defend some of his behavior that is alleged against cynthia lennon and such but it's let's it's songs and no you you can even sing them and not feel guilty. I give you permission. Uh, anyways, the New York Times, February 10th, 1964. Literally 60 years ago today. The Beatles' vocal quality can be described as hoarsely incoherent with the minimal enunciation necessary to communicate the schematic texts. Two theories were offered in at least one household to explain the Beatles' popularity. The specialist said, We haven't had an idol in a few years. The Beatles are different, and we have to get rid of our excess energy somehow. The other theory is that the longer parents object with such high dudgeon, the longer children will squeal so hysterically. Donald Freeman of the Chicago Tribune at the end of February 1964. The Beatles must be a huge joke, a wacky gag, a gigantic put-on. And if, as the fellow insisted on What's My Line, they're selling 20,000 Beatle wigs a day in New York at two ninety-eight a shake, then I guess everyone wants to share the joke and the profits. Hartford Courant, February 23, 1964. Stiff lip, old chap, even the Beatles will pass. The question is, what next? Let's see. The Science Newsletter, also end of February 1964. The Beatles follow a line of glamorous figures who arouse passionate cries and deep swoons. Most prominent 
In the 40s was Frank Sinatra, and in the 50s, Elvis Presley. Their glory passed when they got too old to be teenagers' idols, or when teenagers got too old to need them. The same, it is predicted, will happen to the Beatles. In the meantime, there are two ways of handling the situation. Either grin and bear it, or relax and enjoy it. For the Beatles are inevitable. Yes, inevitable Beatles, and uh, also inevitable in your immediate future is Frank Edward Nara. A hard day's night. Um, of course, this is the, uh, the, the record that came out um, with the movie Hard Day's Night. And uh, as I've mentioned on uh, you know, the first few Beatles uh, topics on this series, uh, Hard Day's Night is one of my favorite movies of all time. And the music that in the movie just sort of uh, adds so much to it. Right? The movie just has incredible dialogue, direction, pacing music and everything and it feels like the the Beatles sort of this I guess you could say this is sort of the second phase that the the earlier phases we talked about the first two albums it seems like with the songwriting the personas and everything it sort of developed and just blossomed into something super special at this time and then continued to transform uh, moving forward I would say that all the songs on here um with the exception of some of the later songs in the album that are slightly different, that weren't so. This album has, generally speaking, uh, on one side it's songs from the album; the other side are songs recorded around the same time that weren't uh, in the movie. I'm sorry, in the movie. And uh, the the music is just remarkable. And this album is the first album where there's no covers, and, and in fact, every single song is written by Lennon McCartney. Um, there's nothing sung by Ringo on here on this album, and uh, only one song sung by George Harrison, but written by uh, Lennon McCartney. And majority of the songs are, are sung by John Lennon, right? But it really feels like um, sort of an increase in just the inc- in the incredible quality of the music. Um, and this really feels like a sort of a plateau that. Who knew they would continue going up and continue doing greater and greater work after this? Uh, but this is really quite remarkable. Let me read you what it says on uh, Apple Music. They have these little things written. Oh, this one's pretty long. But anyway, it's kind of interesting to see what they – because when you, when you listen to the album, they, they have these uh, write-ups. So this came out in '64. Driving through Colorado during a road trip in early 1964, Bob Dylan heard a rundown of the country's top ten singles, and more than half of which were by the Beatles. By then, the band had saturated America with the same bizarre speed they'd saturated England. First broadcast on American radio about a week before Christmas 1963 by a Washington, D.C. area DJ whose friend, a flight attendant for BOAC, had brought a copy of I Want to Hold Your Hand over in their luggage, essentially unplugging the last finger holding back a transatlantic flood. Whether or not Dylan liked the band's music was unclear. We're talking about Bob Dylan here. What he did acknowledge was that their sound, the energy, the harmonic language, the combination of universally appealing but unprecedented 
was somehow inevitable and that they pointed the direction of where music had to go. At the time, folk, Dylan's province, was considered part of a vanguard. In jazz, composers like John Coltrane had already signaled a move toward abstraction. In visual art, pop had happily unseated the macho hugeness of abstract expressionism. Independent filmmaking was developing a momentum. In other words, where other cultural avenues had taken new directions, pop music had mostly stayed the course. Released in summer 1964, only a year and change after Please Please Me, A Hard Day's Night was arguably the first glimpse of our modern idea of the Beatles. Safe, but a little strange. Warm, but with shades of bleakness. A band that experimented tirelessly without ever leaving the mainstream. Famously, it was the first time that Lennon and McCartney had written all the album songs, a gesture that set the precedent for the then-new idea that pop, and by extension the musicians who made it, wasn't just a vehicle for a good show, but art that somehow revealed some otherwise inexpressible part of the artist's soul, something personal. The music was more evolved, too. What had on their first couple of albums been borrowed from R&B and soul covers became baked into their own compositions. The workaday relief of the title track, the workaday relief of the title track, the blues morality of Can't Buy Me Love, covered almost immediately by Ella Fitzgerald, Lennon's I'll Be Back was the moodiest song they'd ever recorded. McCartney's And I Love Her, the most nakedly open-hearted, capturing a shadow and light quality that was warm but stark, contrasts new not just for their songwriting but for 60s pop in general. That the album had originally been conceived of as a soundtrack for a United Artists movie designed to capitalize on the Beatles' fame in England, Capitol had been famously reticent to release their albums in, in the United States, is an illustration of just how swiftly the machine's gears were turning that the band managed to make not only the album, but also the movie as charming and sneakily creative as they did is, well, you see where they got their good reputation. (laughs) Kind of strange right up there um, on this album. And let's take a look at the cover. As PQ mentioned, uh, the, the U.S. and British version of this album, different track listing and different cover. I'm not sure when, uh, the album started to be the, the same, but we'll, we'll get there, of course, as the weeks go up, go by. But, uh, yeah, so we have the uh, the cover here. It's very interesting to look at, if I can. Yes. So this one basically has the Parlophone logo in the upper left. It is a series of black and white photos with a blue background. At the very top is a white background. It says The Beatles in a font that is uh, really strange. It's a very blocky, strange-looking uh font. It has the stereo in the upper right, at least the copy I'm looking at, with that same, what seems to be hand-drawn, uh, mid-century looking uh, sans serif. Then we have a Hard Day's Night typeset in red on a, um, a font that is, I don't know offhand what that font is, but it's very long serifs. So then you have a, a, fi- a, a five by four grid, so basically five little photos across uh, so five columns and four rows of uh, these pictures of the photos of the Beatles, all different photos of each one. And there is a scene in the movie where someone's taking pictures, and I think it's George Harrison that's making all these weird faces. 
Um, so starting on the top row, we have John Lennon. So five images of John Lennon. Uh, first one, he's looking kind of smug. The second one, quizzical. Uh, third one, he's looking through his fingers, sort of ma making like glasses with his hands. Uh, fourth one, he looks kind of uh, very serious. And the fifth one, he's sort of pointing his fingers towards the camera. And the next row, we get uh, George. First, his he's, uh, sort of hand is on his chin. He looks very thoughtful. The next one looks like he's in the middle of saying something. The third one, he's turned around. You see the back of his head. The fourth one, kind of smirking. And the fifth one, he's smoking a cigarette. Um, then we get to uh, Paul McCartney's row. The first one, just sort of a weird frowning expression. Then he looks very shocked and looking down and to his left. The third one, he looks very like disgusted and tired. That's, an, that's a good one. The fifth one, he's looking to his right like he just heard something shocking and the fifth one he's sort of reaching out his hand and has sort of a plaintive look on his face finally we have uh, Ringo <laughs> the first one he looks just really angry and intense the second one slightly less intense slightly smiling the third one I think he's winking it's almost exactly the same as the second one the fourth one he had his hand on his chin. That's a very, it doesn't even look like him there. And the fifth one, you sort of see him at a slight angle, looking kind of miserable as usual. Usual, I guess Ringo's a very moody guy. Perhaps not as iconic as, as the last two album covers, but definitely very interesting. And I, I know that I was looking at the U.S. version. I'm not really familiar with the U.S. version of these albums, as I was not a Beatles fan until the early 90s. So that's when we had the reissues of the, of the British albums. So I never really was involved in the U.S. releases like, um, you know, PQ and Shambles and um, Rob and everyone else had sort of also had the U.S. versions. I never had them. This one, the U.S. version here, very different. It just shows t four images of the Beatles, just sort of the top half of their heads. Anyway. Let's get into the album here. Where is it here? Of course, it starts off, the very beginning of the album is this amazing chord, right? The chord heard around the world. There's been endless analysis of it. What a wild way to start. Right? It's been a hard day's night. But that chord really is um, a remarkable moment, I think, in, in pop rock music. Um, they always all these albums they start really strongly right out of the gate and this one and i was watching some analysis of it you know the, how how it was produced um there's just something so different about beatles music and uh, this song is just an absolute classic that chord at the beginning uh just absolutely amazing oh maybe before we get into this let's let's hear the documentary there's also a documentary little mini documentaries on the album on at Apple Music. Let's check the documentary out, shall we? We knew that in rock and roll you could get in a film. So we wanted to be in a film, if at all possible, but we wanted to make a good one. It's been a hard day's night. I should be sleeping like a love. We often could rely on Ringo for titles, because Ringo had this happy neck of getting things wrong, little malapropisms. And it was always better than the real one. Someone said to him, you know, you look a bit tired today, so yeah, I had a hard day's night. You know. 
He meant it, and we all went, Hot oh, Days Night, that's great! I give her all my love, that's all I do. Hard Days Night was the first big one I did. I had the benefit of having a director who was a musician, Dick Lester, who was quite a good pianist. And of course, we recorded the special songs for the film as, as we would just do ordinary recordings. And Dick used a lot of the songs I'd already recorded. You know, the past albums, Can't Buy Me Love, already had been recorded, for example. Take two. I'm giving up the business. Come on, George. Come on, we're doing it. We're on. George is tuned up. I've just... George is tuning up. Two. Can't buy me love. I had one mind that wrote books or funny stories and another mind that churned out things about I love you and you love me because that's how Paul and I did it, you know? Like, oh, you know, let's write another of them. If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true and help me? They didn't really get totally immersed in record production until later on when they stopped touring. There wasn't time. They would dash into the studio, put down their tracks, and they'd leave all the work really to us. They were incredibly busy during those first years. Before this dance is through, I think I love you too. I'm so happy when you dance with me. If you look at our itinerary, some of those years where we, we did uh, maybe a tour of England, a tour of Europe, a tour of America, two albums and about four EPs and three singles, and made a movie all in the same year, you think, Jesus, how did we do that? Because I told you before, oh, you can't do We felt, yes, we're established and we've conquered all these countries and we're selling a lot of records and they all love us. It was not a thought, it's going to end tomorrow, it's going to go on forever. I never sort of had that thought, it was just happening now, you know. It wasn't like making plans for the future. It was just on this roll and we were all in our early 20s and we were just going with it. Okay, ready? Paul, the running. A one, two, three, four. You, if you break my heart, I'll go. But I'll be back again. Yes. A little documentary there. And they animate, do an animation of the cover as well. For a little, little documentary series. I'm not sure if that's put together by Apple or by uh, Apple Core. Apple Computer or Apple Core, the Beatles company. But yeah, I mean, this album is far superior. I mean, it's hard to say. All the Please Please Me and with the Beatles certainly had amazing moments, but as a full album, this is by far the best of the first three. Um, Starting off with that chord, as we said, you know... And this song is just so incredible, right? This song really is is so propulsive and so fun. And it, what's, it's what starts the movie, though. It's weird because there was an, an 80s release of the movie where there was a... Um, they put the song I'll Cry Instead as a prologue 
And that's the version of the movie I had on VHS for many years with that prologue. So I, this song, I, re, I really do associate this song with the very beginning of, of the movie in the version I had, right? <laughs> This is the ninth song on the record. Um, so that apparently was not part of the original. So I was kind of surprised by that because I always associated that song with the start of the movie in the version I had. But it was not in the actual movie. It's only that very special version that doesn't seem to be generally available anymore. Um, so this, so after Hard Day's Night, we have I, I Should Have Known Better. Harmonica's back an incredible song again it just feels effortless it's amazing and there's this thing that I've been noticing is especially there's this uh, moment where things feel like slightly out of tune that it's just a very pleasing slightly weirdly going out of tune and back into tune kind of sound and I notice it on a lot of these early Beatles songs right Right, that I, right, it's just something, very pleasing sound. It's something you wouldn't normally notice, but I've been noticing it, listening to these songs. Should have known better with a girl like you. Amazing stuff. These are just top-notch songs. And then I think this is a song uh, where John is singing it to Ringo, right? If I fell in love with you, would you promise to be true and help me? And then there's another that me that that weird tuning feeling, right? Let me. I don't know what you'd call that. Would you promise to be true and help me understand? Amazing. So so I mean, this this these are just incredible songs. Then we have uh, I'm Happy Just to Dance With You. This is written by Lennon McCartney, but this is the only song that George sang on this album, right? And I, this is really good. I mean, this is just... I'll give all these songs top marks. Before this dance is through, I think I love you too. I'm so happy when you dance with me. Just incredible. And these songs are all fairly short. There's... 13 songs, it's 33 minutes, so it's three minutes shorter. So basically it's one song less than the first two albums had. The longest song is, is it 235? Yeah, no, 243 with I Should Have Known Better. Again, such short songs. We have a 209. Tell me why, two minutes and nine seconds. And then we have And I Love Her, which is, uh, as they mentioned in the documentary, you know. Again, this is Paul being very kind of sincere, and some might say a little sappy, but it just works. It's amazing. Nice. And here's Tell Me Why two, at 209. <laughs> And this that opening is so different than anything else. Do 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 right. 
and again that weird distorted harmony thing going on there again it's not just harmony it's like harmony that kind of is slightly going out of tune and back into tune which has a pleasing quality to it but yeah this is another amazing song <laughs> they're all amazing this is such a great album and of course then we get to seventh song on the album one of their big hits Yeah, I think one of their top hits, most identifiable songs, amazing. So some of these now, and this is the second part of the album, a lot of these are not on in the movie, but anytime at all. This may be in the movie, actually. So one thing I'm thinking of, you know, this is now, you know, this is music from almost 60 years ago, right? 59 or 58 and a half years ago. Um, how is it that this music, the sound of it, sounds better than music today and just every aspect of the composition? I know people have tried to make Beatles-like music or have tried to go, but there's just something about how these songs sound and just the overall feel and tone of these songs. It feels like Somehow, with all of the years of advancement that we've made since then, musically speaking, there's some like this is capture this these songs capture something that has not been that is so rare. There's a quality about this music, and that's why just listening just to this album, for example, you know, as I talked about in the first and second installment, the general installment about the Beatles, you know, that the thought that there was some sort of uh, supernatural source of this music, which I know uh, is a bit of an out, uh, 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 an outlandish theory, but so almost literally, that these were songs that were from another world that were imported here, and that's why they were seemingly simple little love songs that, in all of the harmonics, the harmonies, uh, the the tunes, the everything about them, it feels like divine inspiration of some sort, right? There's something about these these songs that just go beyond other other music and it's so strange. And it feels so many of these songs feel so effortless. Um yeah, I just I just have to say that it's to me it's kind of a mystery. There's qualities that have not been reproduced. Next song, I'll cry instead. So this song is, I associate this song as the start of the movie. And it's a great starting song. Um, so it's just that one 1982 version that had that, the series of still images sort of plastered to the front of the movie. This is only a minute 46 seconds, you know. But even the very beginning there, there's again that, that thing happening, right? Let's see if you can hear that. Just that, that note. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but apparently that's not part of the main movie, so yeah, it's weird. It's not in the movie. It's in the version I got to know, yeah. 
Then we have things we said today. You say you will love me. Yeah. And this is the one that has that, that kind of harmony later, right? Someday when we're dreaming, wishing you weren't so far away. All right. There's just so much happening in these songs harmonically and just one of them th- mentioned, you know, these audacious chord choices and all of not just the opening chord, but in all of it. It's yeah, I there is some element of mystery here. You could say John Lennon and Paul McCartney were just absolute geniuses and they were at the prime of their art and this is what they produced. I cannot help but think that there's something else going on here. But in a way, this theory relates to the other theory in that content being imported to this reality, in this case, through very, very talented musicians, but they're now being fed songs. And I know I don't know if anyone else has this theory. No, there was a theory that someone had a conspiracy theory that the Beatles songs were not composed by them, but were composed by someone else to achieve social effects. But I don't think anyone else really thought that they were coming from an extraterrestrial source. <laughs> yes. Now here's the song, When I Get Home, which I would say, certainly a good song, but not really necessarily on the level of the, the rest of these songs. So perhaps not quite at the same level. Uh, this guy, I used to work at this pre-press shop in the 90s, and this guy, Miles, um, originally from Macedonia, he was he would always, like, he was a real weird guy. He would always sing. And because I was, I was always rambling on about all my creative projects, he would be like, Frankie Nora, he's like a cola. Because I was sort of boasting that I was going to become famous with my creative works, and he, he was sort of saying that I'm sort of, like, going to get his biggest Coca-Cola. Frankie Nora. He's like a cool. So he just he was just obsessively singing stuff like that. But when we started talking about the Beatles, he kept quoting this song. He's like, I'm going to love you till the cows come home. <laughs> he kept, he's like, I'm going to love you till the cows come home. Like every time we talked about the Beatles, he always just talked that one line from this song. <laughs> going to love you till the cows come home. Right. Let me get to that part. So this might be the, as it is a good song, it may be the weak link on the album. Yeah, I, I think, you know, obviously, going to love you till the cows come home means you're going to make love all night long, have sex all night long. Maybe that's why he was sort of taking some glee and constantly quoting that. I think this song and the next also are, yeah, you can't do that. So I think that um, John Lennon having sort of a violent streak, you know, especially dealing with his girlfriends, there's a song where he talks about um, he used to beat his women. (laughs) Remember that that song? It's from uh, I Used to Beat Her and Was Unkind. Oh, what's that from? Hold on, I'll find it. Yes, it's uh, getting better. 
Yeah, you got to admit it's getting better. This is from uh, Sergeant Peppers. Getting better all the time. Can't get no worse. So Lennon says, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. Man, I was mean, but I'm changing my scene. I'm doing the best that I can. Right? So, I, And I think that there's also historical data that John Lennon perhaps was violent like that. Um, not something we want to hear about our heroes, but uh, this song, you can't do that. It, he's actually very jealous and not saying he's going to beat her. I'm going to let you down. If you if you talk to another man, right? So it's, this is sort of him being angry and mean. Something to say that might cause you pain. If I catch you talking to that boy again, and again, these two songs, "When I Get Home" and this song, are not on the level of m- many of the other songs. Um, but Lennon being sort of like a jealous boyfriend and perhaps even violent is sort of hinted at there. Finally, we have I'll Be Back. That's another one of these songs that just I'm not as familiar with it. And then when I see the title, I'm not really sure what it sounds like. But then when I hear it, I know it really well. No, this is not a reference to the Terminator. I'll be back. This is before that. I know a lot of people in the future may have no idea what came first, A Hard Day's Night or The Terminator. If you're living in the year 8,000, it's the same to you, right? It's around the same time, but it's very much different for, for us from uh, 64 to 84, actually. You know, if you break this is a better song. I'll be back. I'll be back again. Yeah, so I guess really when I get home and you can't do that or just slight fluctuations in terms of not quite as not quite as good as the uh, the rest of the album but this is being very nitpicky of course but that's what we we're we're, we're nitpicking here we're we're really uh you know <coughs> we're trying to get to the nitty gritty uh incredible album i mean uh i have to say that my favorite song of the album is i'll cry instead because of how it was the the beginning of the movie in my copy you know I got every reason on earth to be mad Cause I just lost the only girl I had to do, 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 And I can't take my way Let myself done up today And I can't so I'll cry instead Don't wanna cry when there's people there I get shy when they start to stare I want to hide myself away, yay. but I'll come back again someday. So much great stuff on this album. And the movie, listen, if you have not seen this movie, go watch it. There's multiple copies of it for free on the Internet Archive you can find. I would say, without any hyperbole, the movie is top ten movies of all time. So if I, if I really tried to come up with the, my... The, the best of the best movies I've ever seen, I will put Hard Day's Night up on that list. It's top ten. Without a doubt, I can watch that movie over and over again. It is absolutely brilliant. It captures uh, a, a, a spirit that is so unique and a moment. And, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, I think the next movie, Help, was 
real because I, I rewatched that recently is nowhere near as good. Of course, you know we're talking about the music side of things, which is different than the movie side of things. But anyway, and by the way, it was uh, help that was originally going to be called Eight Arms to Hold You, not this one. I know I mentioned that last time. Anyway, there you go. Hard day's night. The chord heard around the world. Back to you, PQ. Goo goo gajub goo goo gajub goo goo. Shoop shoop shoop. Uh yeah. I, 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 however you feel, but I ne- I just never interpreted. Uh, goodness. Uh, yep. Yeah, I. It's got those menacing chords. I guess I'm still. I'm just so shocked that that song is considered. Uh, I mean, whatever. We can all interpret songs as we will. And with Lennon, the Lennon is not that the Imagine guy necessarily for his whole life. He was a tough fellow especially in the earlier days of the Beatles. So there is that. And uh, George McKinnon in the Boston Globe, February 1964, said, Don't let the Beatles bother you. If you don't think about them, they will go away, and in a few more years, they will probably be bald. And teenagers, go ahead and enjoy your Beatlemania. Won't be fatal, and we'll give you lots of laughs a few years hence when you find one of their old records or come across a picture of Ringo in a crew cut. The Liverpool Lunacy this is merely a 1964 version of a mild disease which periodically sweeps across the country as the plagues of the Middle Ages once did. In its current manifestation, it is characterized by an excessive hair growth, an inability to recognize melody, a highly emotional state with severe body twitches, and a strange accent that is more American Southwest than Mercy Dockside. So now it's I want to hold your hand and yeah, yeah, yeah. The disease is at the height of its virulence, but the fever will subside and the victims may receive immunity for life from fads. And uh, let's do one more, one more. Um, The Washington Post, George Dixon said, just thinking about the Beatles seems to induce mental disturbance. They have a commonplace, rather dull act that hardly seems to merit mentioning, yet people hereabouts have mentioned scarcely anything else for a couple of days. But this, that again, right on the uh, heels of the Ed Sullivan uh, appearance and the sales of many records. And uh, I think they had beetle wigs in the stores. It was really a phenomenon. Uh, I'm not necessarily totally unprecedented, but a lot of the uh, ooh hiccuping, a lot of the aspects were uh, different than what one expected from uh, you know pop band and anything coming from England. I mean, let's face it, that was a big factor. You know, something coming over from England that it's just it was almost a joke. In a lot of ways, there weren't very many British film stars, TV stars. Uh, It was just this dour archetype 
I'm starting to get the impression. I could be wrong. Um, and, and where's Doc Slees through all of this? Where are you, Doc? Oh, man, this is awful. Anyways, uh, I have to call out Doc Slees. He probably grew up at the, and thought the Beatles were just abysmal, especially at this point in their story, although uh, I'm projecting. And uh, speaking of which, I am projecting us into the future. And yes, the Beatles for Sale album, which uh, we will be speaking of the next time we gather here. Unless uh, we are always open. You can do a catch up if you've got more to say about Hard Day's Night or the Beatles first two albums before that or the early Beatles in general. Shoot it to me. Uh, well, here's the email address, and then we'll talk about the next show, etc., and plans. Uh, the email address you need to know is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. Once again, kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And... Um, Next week, uh, the deadline, let's call it Wednesday, early Thursday, but let's try for Wednesday uh, for the Beatles for Sale episode. And it, it's open house otherwise. At that address, I got to thank um, Rob, Shambles, Frank, and you, and you. And uh, with that, let's all set the controls for the heart of the fun. <laughs>